0: Not looking forward to that. Matter of fact, full transparency, I hate it. it. Took me about half the time last round to where I got to the point where I didn't really want to do it. I'm already there. I do not want to do it. So if you want to pray for me tonight or pray for me in the morning, I'll show up a little bit before 8 tomorrow morning and I'll be there until probably around 1130. And so uh, anytime during uh, the morning hours, if you want to pray for me, please do. Uh, as long as I'm coherent, they give me a huge dose of Benadryl and other things with the chemo. So I get kind of woozy. But I promise you, I will be praying for you. When, when I'm not, when I'm there, I'll be praying. Um, but if you want to pray for me, I would appreciate it. Uh, you can pray for my attitude. You can pray that the Lord would continue to work into me character and endurance and perseverance and hope. Because um, I'm not in Philippians 1, 21. I'm just not there. I'm more in James 1 and Romans 5. So any of that you want to read and pray for me, feel free. Second thing I want to do is remind you about the book of Romans. Two quick things. One, going through the book of Romans is a journey. So if you're here this morning and you've never read the book of Romans, you've never been through any teaching on Romans, uh, you've never heard a sermon series on Romans, look, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, the book of Romans is meant to stretch you and stretch me. So if you haven't read the book of Romans, please read it. And if you get to the point where you read some of the stuff in the book of Romans and you're like, I don't like this, or this is not what I've ever heard before, hang in there. I've told you the story about my dad before. He didn't grow up in a Christian tradition that did much with Romans. And he got out of seminary and he started reading Romans and he couldn't reconcile Romans with anything he'd ever been taught his whole life, including seminary. And he told me, Dave, I knew the problem wasn't with Romans. That may be some of your experience as well. So don't forget it's a journey. It's meant to stretch us and focus us. Next, remember the point of Romans. It's found in chapter 1, verse 16 that the gospel is God's power. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is God's power. Not like Thor's hammer, not like, not like spinach for Popeye. The gospel is power, which means it's like oxygen. It's life, it's what brings life and gives life. The gospel is God's power, is everything. And that's what this book is trying to show us. That's what God's trying to do, is to get us to understand how powerful this message is in our lives. So listen to this as I read Romans eight, one through 13. This is God's word. You can bank your entire life on it. There is therefore now no condemnation, You will live. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us yourself in your word. Remind us that you are the greatest gift, that knowing you and being known by you is the greatest thing that we could possibly experience in this life. Knowing you and being known by you reorients all that we are to all that we could experience. So we thank you for giving us yourself. And we ask again and again, the Holy Spirit, you would make Jesus irresistible to us again, fresh, anew, that we might know, that we might know something of that power in our lives. That we might know that the gospel is your power. We pray all this, Jesus, again, that you would be glorified and exalted and made large in our bodies, in our lives, and we pray through you. Amen. Have any of y'all ever had the windshield of your car crack? That ever happened to anybody? Maybe some random bird hit it. Maybe something, as you were driving, someone found the slingshot that you left in your vehicle and something exited that slingshot and cracked your windshield. ever... Okay, what about a random toy outside the vehicle, like maybe the basketball ricocheted off the goal in your yard and accidentally hit the windshield of your car and cracked it? You ever had that happen? And you know that if your windshield's cracked and it gets really hot, that crack just continues to grow, right? Well, as you might imagine, this has happened to us fairly recently. Windshield was cracked, and let me tell you something. The people that exchange windshields and take the old cracked one out and put the new one in, they have it down to a science. They can do it so fast. It's amazing. Well, most recently when our windshield got cracked and we got the new one put in, we, after the windshield was replaced, we had to take it to the dealership because all of the safety things in our vehicle had to be recalibrated. The way that the car understands length and width and height and depth and how it feeds that to a satellite and how it reads how far we are away from cars and everything around us all had to be recalibrated so that our vehicle could travel on the road as it's supposed to relating to other cars as it's supposed to letting you know when something's wrong like it's supposed to everything about our car had to be recalibrated. When we get into Romans chapter eight, I want you to understand that Romans chapter eight is all about God recalibrating our lives in the gospel. That means that if you're here this morning and you have thought that studying the Bible means that you read the Bible to understand principles, so you read the Bible, study the Bible, get principles, put those principles into life and live, this in Romans eight, is going to recalibrate that. If you've been basically taught, and maybe you've had to detox from this, maybe you've needed some distance from this, and it's taking you time to understand, but maybe as you look back over your Christian life, maybe you've gotten a sense that, you know, I've heard a lot of self-help stuff that had a little bit of Christian lingo in it, but it was really just about self-help. Romans 8 is going to recalibrate your life. Romans 8 is gonna recalibrate our lives to understand how we live in the gospel. One more, maybe if you think about your life, whether you're here and you believe, whether you're exploring Christianity or whether you've been a Christian longer than I have been alive, maybe you can look at your life and say, you know what? I am motivated by deficits. That's how I make progress in my life. I mean, that's how it is in my job. They tell me what I'm not doing, that there's this deficit, and I got to start doing something different. I got to make up for this deficit. Let me tell you, Romans 8 is going to recalibrate your life. So you don't have to be motivated by deficit anymore. That's what the gospel means. We're going to get into that more. I want you to understand this whole chapter is about recalibrating our lives in the gospel. We got three stops we're going to make on this journey today. The first one is this, and we'll start in verse 1. We're going to start with the conclusion. To recalibrate our lives in the gospel, we got to start with the conclusion. Look at verse 1. Look at what Paul says. There is, now therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beloved, Paul says, therefore, he's drawing a conclusion On the basis of what Jesus has done, there is no condemnation for you now. The the final word on your life is that there's no condemnation. What is most true about you that are in Jesus, what's most true, I didn't say what you most feel most of the time, what is most true about you is that there's no condemnation. Now you might be wondering, what's no condemnation? Well, no means no more. There's no more condemnation. What's that? Well, if something, if there's something that uh, you know is hanging over you, something that you are liable for, if there's something that you're on the hook for between you and God, if there's something that you have fallen short of. You are not what you're supposed to be. Therefore, you could have some condemnation resting upon you. And the result of that is that there's alienation between you and God. You can sense that there's distance between you and God. But when God says to the apostle Paul that now there's no condemnation, it means there's no more liability. It means that there's nothing that alienates you from God anymore. Because of what Jesus has done, the result of Christ's work is that there is no condemnation for you now, presently, and forever. That sounds like pretty good news to me. How about you? There's no beef between you and God. You're not on the hook for anything. You're not liable for anything anymore because of Jesus. If you were to walk up to God face to face and say, God, however poorly you wanna word this, we good? God would say yes, we're good. That's the conclusion. That's where Paul starts in recalibrating your life in the gospel start with the conclusion there's no condemnation because of what Jesus has done and that isn't going to change because Christ has done everything now look at verses 3 and 4 our second stop in the journey is this why why is this conclusion true? That there's no condemnation. Why is that true? Look at verse 3 and 4. Really. Look at it. I'll read it to you. I want you to hear this again. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Why is the conclusion true? When you look at verse 3 and 4, do you see it? The reason why the conclusion is true is because the Trinity has acted on your behalf. Do you see the Father there? Do you see the Son mentioned there? Do you see the Holy Spirit in those verses? It has nothing to do with, the only thing this says about you is that you couldn't fulfill what the law required in your own flesh. You were too weak. But God the Father did something. God sent his Son, that's what it says. And Jesus came in the likeness of human form. Meaning that when he literally walked on the earth in real time and space, people perceived him as a man, rightly perceived him as a man. He was the God-man. And what did he do? He fulfilled all righteousness. What we couldn't do in the flesh, he did. So that the Holy Spirit might take the significance of what Jesus has done and bring that power into our lives so that the Spirit would take the power of the cross and the power of the empty tomb and bring that into us. Do you see? God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, act in unison together to do what we can't do to bring the gospel into our lives and this is all of grace. This is not anything that we have done. We didn't even ask God to send Jesus. The Father sent Christ, Christ came, and the Holy Spirit takes the work of Jesus and brings it into us that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, if you wonder what in the world is the righteous requirements of the law, Do you ever remember this time? Because I I was thinking about it this week and and this kind of hit me. Do you remember the time when um, Jesus was having one of his encounters that that the scriptures record for us? And the man comes to Jesus and basically says, hey, Jesus, what's your summary of the law? Remember this? And Jesus says, love. Hmm. In Jesus' mind, when he hears the law, he summarized it by love, loving God, loving your neighbor. Interesting. We typically don't think about the law in any connection with love, do we? But you see what the Holy Spirit is working into us is that we would love God and love our neighbor. That's what we naturally do not want to do. We naturally don't want to love God, we naturally don't want to love other people because that's uncomfortable. We like to love ourselves. We like to serve ourselves. As we've confessed, we like, we know God's supposed to be on the throne, but we like to put ourselves there. But what the Spirit does is He works into us what's righteous about the law, which is loving God and loving people. This is why the conclusion is true from verse 1, because God has acted. God has done everything that we need. I heard a man say one time how Christianity is different from every other religion. It's stuck with me. Christianity sees that all of our problems are on the inside. And the solution to our problems are found outside of us. Think about that. Every other religion, every other way of living thinks the opposite. All my problems are out there. And all the solution to my problems are found in here. God is telling us, I have done everything. Your relationship with me is by grace. I've done what you can't do, what you haven't done, what you won't do. I'm even so powerful that I'm, I'm working love into you, like love of others, being other-centered. The conclusion is true because our God acts. Meaning, if you were to walk up to God and you were to say, do you love me? He would say yes. Right now, if you were to walk up to the Father and say, do you love me? He would say yes. As a matter of fact, when you gather for worship, do you hear Jesus saying that he loves you? When you hear the assurance of pardon, the assurance of forgiveness every week, do you hear Jesus saying to you, I love you? When you read the scriptures, do you hear Jesus saying, I when you come to the table, do you hear Jesus saying, I love you? Because that's what he's saying. God can say there's no condemnation because of what he has accomplished in Jesus, and because of what the Spirit is doing inside of you and me. Which means, to begin this relationship with Jesus is to receive, to receive. Well, the third stop in our journey is living the conclusion. So, we start with the conclusion, find out why the conclusion is true, and now living the conclusion. If you look at verses, I'll tell you what, let's do this. Let's connect the dots. Look at verse 2 and then 5 through 13. Let's, Let's take all the data and connect the data dots in those verses so that you can see all the concepts that Paul is weaving together. So, hang in there with me. Because this may be a little complex, but I'm going to try to make it as simple as I can. Yes, I'm encouraging you to go back and read it, but follow along. Try to see if you can connect all these things that Paul's saying. Do you notice that he starts off in verse 2, and verse 6, and verse 13 by telling us that this whole thing he's talking about is a matter of life and death? You see that? Life and death. And he connects life and death with the spirit and the flesh. So that death is connected to the flesh and life is connected with the spirit. Here's what it means when he says flesh. Whenever we try to live without anything to do with God, that's the flesh. Whenever we're trying to live in a way that's disconnected from God, that's the flesh. And we talked about the spirit. He's saying that instead of living life, di- trying to disconnect yourself from God, living by the spirit is when the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, dominates and controls one's life. So that there's a way that we can live in accordance with the flesh, there's a way that we can live in accordance with the Spirit. One brings about death. The other brings about life. And then all of that is getting to this. Look at verse 6 and verse 5 and other things in those verses. Setting your minds. You see that? He says it over and over and over. Just real quick. Life and death. Death connected to the flesh, which is trying to live without God. Life connected to the Spirit, which means the Spirit is controlling our lives. And that all meets up with what are we setting our minds on? Now when Paul talks about the mind, he's not saying this. Set your minds on the flesh, set your minds on the Spirit means think this way or think that way. Oh no, it's much deeper than that. Because it's not as though as if we can just think the right things, things are gonna be great. When he says, set your minds, mind is much more about what's at the core of your being. It's like saying your heart. Same thing, synonymous. He's saying, what is your heart set on? What's the dial of your heart set to? He wants you to get below the surface He wants us to do some reflection and get down to the core of who we are and say, where is your heart set? What's it set on? Because it's either set on serving the flesh or serving the spirit. At your core, what is it that is directing your life? What is it that's directing my life? So how in the world can you figure out what's at your core? Here's some things to think about. This is gonna seem really scattershot because I'm trying to hit all of us, all right? So if some of this doesn't apply to you, great, let it go. Don't chalk it up to a victory and be like, well, at least I wasn't that one. Just know that wasn't for you. How can you figure out what's at your core? Here's one way. When you daydream, where does your mind wander? now I know most of you are super busy so maybe you hate silence I don't know maybe you're that time of life where you love silence <laughs> if you are where does your mind wander does it go to how terrible you are does it go to how great you are does it go to all those things that you want that you don't have Is jealousy there where does your mind just naturally wonder? Where does it go? Or maybe this. When you open up your favorite app, when you go to your favorite platform, what's on your feed? What just naturally comes to you? Because you do realize that there's an algorithm that's made to send you something. Whatever's in your feed, you do realize that you're not just randomly searching things. You do realize that your feed is feeding you. It's telling you where your heart wants to go, it's revealing what you're about, it's revealing what you're interested in, it's revealing where your heart, the dial of your heart is set. It's letting you know what is really, really interesting to you and what you think you need. It reveals, it's just feeding you. Do you wanna go even further, look back through your posts, look back through the things that you've liked, unliked, whatever it is, what does that reveal? Self-absorption? What does it reveal? Because it's showing you what is at the core of who we are. You see, we have to get to the core. If none of that hits, Maybe what's underneath most of that stuff for me, maybe this is for you too, I don't know. Um, A little bit in the media recently, uh, Madonna's kinda made a resurgence. I don't know if you've seen this or not. Bear with me, bear with me. (laughs) She has a new album out, 50 number one hits. I don't care if you don't like music, I don't care. 50 number one hits is incredible in a career. She's been back in the media a little bit because her new, this new album has released and it reminded me of an interview with her from a number of years ago. I want to read this so I get it just right. By the way, the title of her new album is Finally Enough Love. Now hear that within the context of this. This is what she said. My drive in life comes from being mediocre I am uninteresting unless I do something else even though I am somebody I still have to prove I am somebody my struggle has never ended Does that strike a chord maybe friends we can't fix things in our lives and we can't make progress in our lives and we can't grow in our lives if all we do is just think about growth or fixing this or changing in this way in this way growth and change and progress is not about willpower although that's included Growth and change and progress. It's not about a new to do list. Although there may be some new things that you need to do. Growth and progress and change. Is it about being better? No! No! We are not to live our lives being motivated by deficit. The whole point of the gospel is that we're motivated by grace, by what is most true about us, based on what Jesus has done and with a pronouncement that God makes that there is no condemnation. The way to progress and change and growing as a person is through Jesus and what he has done. And what that means is that living out the gospel, it's not a formula. It's not getting the algorithm right. Living out the gospel is is not like a good luck charm. It's not some type of magic potion. Living out the gospel is more like putting on the OVR. Or For those of you that have no idea what that is, it's like putting on a new pair of glasses. It's, how you, it's what you see everything through. Living out the gospel is putting on a brand new pair of sunglasses, maybe that are polarized and you know what that means if you have polarized glasses. It's even better. It's how you see everything, it's what you see everything through. That's what it means to live out the gospel. That's what it means to live into the conclusion that God says about you because of Jesus. You have to put on the gospel lenses into everything that's going on and everything you're going through in your life. You have to remember that what God says about you is the final statement of who you are. That you're not defined by your worst failure or your greatest accomplishment. You're not defined because you think you're somewhere in the middle where people are better than you and where there are a lot of people who aren't as good as you are. You're not defined by being in the middle either. I'm not defined by cancer. You're not defined by your career. You're not defined by any other ailment that you may have or may acquire. It doesn't define you. It's what God has said. When you put on those lenses, and you start looking at everything through the lenses of what Jesus has done, you will change. You'll grow. You'll fight against things that you need to fight in your life. That dark passenger that's with you, you're gonna make war with him. Doesn't it strike you that Paul begins this chapter with that statement in verse one that there's no condemnation right after he tells you about how much he struggled in chapter seven? Right after. Immediately after saying there's a war going on. Who's going to rescue me? Boom. How does he view himself? And how does, he, how does God want us to view ourselves? No condemnation. Change will come as we put on the lens of Jesus and the gospel. Try to make this as practical as I can. Landing gears out, we're almost done. My assumption this week is that there's gonna be conflict in your life, just assuming. I'm not, I'm not talking some gigantic conflict, okay. I just mean conflict's kinda of normal on a weekly, weekly basis. You're gonna encounter people you don't wanna encounter. Let's just start there. Also, I'm also anticipating that maybe you might wanna read the Bible this week. And I'm also expecting that um, you might take some criticism this week or you might get some uh, acclaim this week. So you might get praise this week. So what does it mean to put on the gospel lens of those are the normal part of our lives? Here you go. Here's my attempt at this. So this week when you face criticism, no, we'll hold off on that. This week when you face relational things that you may not be expecting, I'll tell you about my own life. Jenny and I will will have been married 22 years in December. Man, when we first got married, and I'll just speak for myself. When we first got married, our fights were, for me, north of 90% self, less than 10% gospel. And as God has been growing me, I've learned to slow down when conflict happens. By God's grace, I've been learning to think about how can I get outside of myself in the middle of conflict and maybe hear someone else's opinion and maybe consider that what I said could have been offensive or hurtful. Because my tendency is to think when I'm in conflict, I'm right. You wrong. I'm waiting. Now, I'm not saying that I'm at 100% gospel every time that we argue now, but man, God has slowed me way down from where I was 22 years ago, and there's more of a posture. Maybe you can recognize this in me too. You've known me 10 years, some of you. There's a posture of, you know, being more open to forgive and being more open to be gracious more quickly. Maybe this week, if you put on the gospel lenses and conflict happens, you might slow down. You might think about what someone is actually, is maybe they're saying. You might be able to get outside of yourself. Maybe I will this week, I don't know. I'm gonna be pretty cranked up tomorrow. I'm already seeing conflict in my life. Maybe in your Bible reading I studied the Bible for years and years into my 30s in which I was all about, man, I need more doctrine. I was trained to preach by reading the Bible and put Bible into systematic theology categories. I don't care if you know what that means or not. I was not trained to get to Jesus. And then my 30s, God was working in my life to where I started realizing, oh my goodness, Dave, why don't you get to Jesus when you preach? Like, well... I don't read and study the Bible and get to Jesus. I read and study the Bible for information. So I started realizing, man, I'm really messed up. Maybe that's why I don't understand the whole scope of the Bible, because I'm used to reading this book of the Bible and getting all the truth out of it, but not understanding how that fits within the whole story. Maybe you're the same way. So maybe this week, instead of just playing on reading your Bible, Maybe you should think about, well, what can I read that's gonna get me to Jesus? And if you need some help, I got plenty of advice for you. Maybe, maybe you can listen to people who preach and teach, but get you to Christ, so that the application when you study the Bible is that you learn how to repent and believe. Not just get principles, plug them into your algorithm because you want this particular outcome. I have to make it a habit to read and listen to people that get me to Jesus. Isn't this great when the kids come back in? I love it. Come on in. Maybe I'm going too long today. What about criticism or approval? When we put on the gospel lens, the criticism doesn't devastate us. And we don't have to have the approval to keep going. Put on the gospel lens and the conclusion that's most true about you means that whatever criticism you're going to get this week won't devastate you. And the approval that's coming your way, you don't have to have it. You don't have to orient your life around trying to get it in order to keep going. Maybe we all might recognize that by living based on what Jesus has done, living from his fullness, means that we're becoming a people that are full of joy, love, patience, and peace, and kindness, and generosity. And friends, that's what brings us to the table. trade, you read about it, you remember it?